welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall, and today we have a very exciting topic and a, a big group of guests. We're going to be talking about AGA's Next Wave program, and uh, when we first go around the room, just introduce everybody. So we'll, let's start with Demeek here. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me. Uh, Demeek Adams. I'm a partner principal at EY, and I lead our finance uh practice for government and public sector across the U.S. covering federal, state, and local and higher education. Happy to be here. All right. And you're the one that came up with this idea, right? We'll get into that. (laughs) Um, And then we have Erica. Say hello, Erica. Hello, everyone. My name is Erica Gaddy, and I'm the Deputy Chief Financial Officer and Chief Risk Officer of the Bureau of Fiscal Service, which is under the Department of Treasury. All right. And that's a, a new job. So congrats on that. Um, and then we have uh, Mr. George Tomchik. Yeah, good morning, everyone. I'm George Tomchik. I'm the Deputy CFO for the Department of Housing and Urban Development. All right. And then one more George here. How you doing? <laughs> Again, I'm George Jenkins. I'm the Chief Financial Officer for the National um, Institute of Standards and Technology and also the National Technical Information Service. Okay, well, thanks, everybody, for being here. Um, all right, so let's jump into it. Uh, maybe, Demet, you can start us off. Give us a little high-level overview about this uh, Next Wave program. What's it all about? And maybe a little bit about why you all came up with the idea. Love it. Thanks. Uh, so, really, the Next Wave Federal Financial uh, Leadership Program was really born out of the idea of um, understanding where we are in our in our community and our passion for challenging the status quo at EY, our research really showed that 65% of transformations failed to meet their desired outcomes and objectives, right? And that's a staggering thought in the financial community when you understand the magnitude of investments that's being made with taxpayer dollars, right? And, and so for us, it was really important not just to acknowledge the problem, but really understand the source and how we can contribute and make investments to help uh, realize that. And our research shows that the number one reason for those successes and, and or failures on the 65% is really the people piece, Hmm. right? Uh, Either people don't have clarity in the vision, they don't see themselves in it um, and really having tools and, uh, and, and capabilities to really successfully help transform organizations. So really, uh, Collaborating with AGA, which I love, uh, Ann and Susan, um, they rarely say no to a good idea. That's right. right. I agree with that, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, just talking to them really about assessing not just doing a program to address the gap, but how do we create a differentiated learning experience. Um, and we you know, obviously have a lot of interactions with CFO council, uh, CFO roundtables, the CFOs, the DCFO community, they engage a lot together, right? And what we saw is our next leaders, GS13s and 5th through 15s, um, the ones that are in the thrust of the transformations, what tools and toolkits do they have to help them be successful in realizing these transformations? So, you know, we first really wanted to identify, uh, we identified our target audience and we knew the gems and the lessons learned of current executives was extremely important to be a part of this process. So really thinking about diversity of thought and the experience of those current CFOs and DCFOs um, was really the impetus for why we needed the executive sponsors 
in that inaugural program to really make this all work. Um, and, you know, you have three of the four mm -hmm. executive sponsors on our um, podcast today that really were trailblazers with us to really make this realization a dream. Who was number four? I'm sorry, I couldn't get everybody on here, but... Steve Kuntz. Oh, Steve uh, Kuntz. Okay, yeah. Yeah. great. Steve Kuntz. Yeah, he's, uh, he's been on a podcast before, so now I've got all four of y'all here. Okay. Exactly. Um, well, I want to go around the room a little bit, but, you know, we're just going to kind of go down the line about, the, talk about the program more, a little bit more specifics, but just, you know, from the executive sponsor's point of view, I want to start with this question. Um, you know, when, when, I guess, did you reach out to each sponsor? Or how did that work, actually? Yeah, I mean, whether it's between Ann and I yeah. reaching out, um, we did it collaboratively. Gotcha, gotcha. Yep. So maybe start with Erica. You know, when, when, when they reached out to you, what, what enticed you to want to participate in this program? Um, what enticed me to want to participate was the opportunity to share my experiences and knowledge with others. Um, I did not arrive at the C-suite without many people and many years of experience and people sewing into me. And I recognized the benefit of having someone explain to me what happens in a meeting that is not evident. I have the benefit of having people tell me about some of their personal struggles in arriving at leadership. And I've also had the benefit of people um, kindly nudging me in a direction to help me become and grow as a person so that I can be a leader. And recognizing how that um, helped me in my career, I wanted to give back to other people. You know, oftentimes in leadership, people focus on the technical competencies. And those are things that you can learn from a book and on the job. And yes, we have lots of leadership books out there, but there's nothing like real life examples because real life cannot be contained in a textbook or um, a book written by a leadership expert. Real life comes from experience. And I think that helps shape people's expectations on what it takes to become a leader and what leadership life is all about. Absolutely. I love it. Um, Mr. Tomchik, what about, how about yourself? Yeah, it's very similar to Erica. You know, I, I look at it as a chance to, um, you know, knowledge share, if you will, with the younger generation and its aspiring leaders. Um, one of the things I mentioned to the class when we were when they were going through it, that the path to leadership isn't always a linear path, that along the way you're going to have to look at different opportunities, maybe sometimes, you know, go sideways on your career or even take a step back sometimes in order to, like, reach – whatever your goal that you're trying to achieve. And I think with this program, you know, one of the things that, that was valuable, I think, for the, the initial participants was it kind of gave them an opportunity to kind of look at this as a roadmap to the future. You know, how, how can we get to where we want to be? And, you know, along the way, they were given a lot of thought-provoking exercises to do. And, and looking at like things like emerging technology, you know, not to get into the technical aspect like Erica was talking about, but I think this this was what excited me about it because you know we're talking about transformational things here, and and I think it really opened the eyes to the participants and and showed them that you know being an executive can, can be interesting, can be tough, can be fun, but it's challenging, and and that's really what interested me in getting involved in this in this program. Great. And I think, George, you know my question for you, Jenkins, Mr. Jenkins. Yeah. So 
to me, uh, it was exciting um, to take a look at the developmental aspects of this is not business as usual. These are new uh, situations that we're encountering every day within our profession and uh, new talent that we need to uh, grow and engender and whatever then wisdom that we could share along our pathways to where we have uh, gotten, I think is valuable in terms of mentoring and shaping uh, to a great degree. And the way the program was structured um, was very interesting because you start with better me in terms of taking a look at introspective look in terms of who you are, and then it radiates out to better us and other pillows that the program then develops in that stage. And to me, the introspective view, then more extrospective, uh, was great in terms of this developmental uh, aspect. And as George indicated, the exercises were very, very elucidating in terms of not looking at things as status quo, but stretching imagination, stretching your ability to think outside of the box and grow just not individually, but organizationally. So that that's what enticed me in this program. Wow. No, this sounds uh, sounds pretty exciting. And you need to find more folks to sign up. Well, I think the next go-around is coming up, right? Is it September, the sign-up date, yep. Dameka? In the fall, exactly. Okay. We, every fall, we uh, open up for applications and generally start to program, uh, make decisions in the December time frame to start it in the new year. So yeah, how many participants do you have in the program? Uh, in the inaugural cohort, we had uh, – upwards of 50 applicants, um, and we selected uh, 20, which of 19 oh. finished the program. Okay. Um, and this year, it was a similar number where we have about 19 um, in the cohort. Um, again, diversity of agencies uh, from GS13s to 15s mm -hmm. uh, from a level as well. And do you mind just giving us a high-level overview of what, you know, what's involved in the program? There's the three pillars, but, what, you know, what kind of activities or things will the participants do, you know? Yes. Um, so hopefully Paul will get a chance to go deeper. We'll go but deeper in another yes, one, but yes, just yes. high-level. Just the at day. a high level, yeah. uh, the three pillars are better me, better us, better working world, mm -hmm. right? So to George Jenkins' point, being really introspective, right, because the, the analogy always comes up on the airplane. Something goes wrong, uh, put your mask on first before you can take care of others. Right. <laughs> right. And that was the really like the emphasis around finding your purpose. So that way it radiates and shines to impact the team and impact the mission. Um, but there are three, those are the three pillars, but what we do in each pillar, which we believe is unique and creates a differentiated experience for the cohort is there's an education session um, that really teaches them something that they can learn to take away and add to their toolkit whether that's uh, mindfulness tips, they got to, they get a mindfulness book. We talk about mindfulness and how that helps them as a person, being curious, things like that. Um, and then we also take them through transformation simulations, something that we added this year to really get them more exposed to emerging technology and how it can advance technology. But then there's also an interactive session, mm. right? So each pillar has an interactive session where we bring additional executives uh, uh, in the federal community to have talk about their additional experiences each time on that topic and then have a speed networking session afterwards. So they're building their network as well as, as part of the cohort. So 
with the you know the executive sponsors you know what's their participation level how much are they involved in the process uh Probably would be good for them to answer, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, or you, yeah, you okay. Well, let's do that. Let's yeah. go to George uh, Jenkins. What, how what was your participation? What was your time so, involved here? Or, go ahead, Demi. Yeah, let off. me qualify just a little bit though, right? So <laughs> at a macro level, I'll say when it initially was communicated, uh-huh. they can speak to the reality <laughs> of because there's so much investment that they made that we probably didn't even see uh-huh. because there is a capstone at the end. Okay, um, because we agreed to give the cohort a platform mm-hmm. to talk about if they would reimagine some of the tougher challenges, like they have a voice with that. And that capstone process was a lot, but basically they contributed, the executive sponsors really contributed to one, giving feedback on the curriculum, Mm -hmm. making sure that it was real world experiences that were pragmatic and practical to their, their daily experiences, but also a look into what they saw as the future. Um, so they did that for every each of the segment and gave us feedback on the cl- curriculum. In addition, each of the executive sponsors oversaw a capstone group that was pulled together where they had a topic and they have, they were advisors to the those groups through uh, when they provided the program. So to that, I will let them tell you all the other stuff they did. Yeah, so you had, <laughs> so the mid-captures, the formal structure in terms of there were a, a many meetings and all of those kind of things. But what this is, affo- what this afforded me, I was able to have individual mentorship sessions with the participants within my group. And so, yeah, you have this macro layer in terms of meetings and looking at the curriculum and going through those sessions. But the more valuable part to me is that I have maintained relationships with people in my group after this whole thing has ended. And I think that that has afforded a uh, bi-directional flow of um, information I learned from them, and hopefully I can impart certain knowledge to them. So that's a valuable contribution that this program has beyond the former sessions. Yeah, maybe, Erica, do you want to add to that? You know, kind of... How much time, but also just, yeah, what did, what kind of benefits did you personally receive out of doing this? Sure. Well, um, on the onset of the program, we all collaborated to help really build out the content of the program. So we had regular meetings to kind of walk through the proposed content and based on our experience and perspective, help refine and shape the content way before the program was delivered. And then, as Dameek and George said, we spent time um, participating in educational sessions and giving, um, sitting on panels and having discussions. And that all led up to the wonderful cohort, um, the wonderful final project that the teams had to do, where I witnessed such tremendous growth in the program participants. I mean, my team came up with such an innovative idea that was so out of the box. And this was more than just uh, a program project. This was something that could really be implemented in an organization and even government-wide and have a tremendous impact on the way the CFO office operates, the way it's staffed, and the way the um, individuals learn and operate. And I saw people come out of their shell. I saw people really own um, their ideas and become very confident. And that was really rewarding for me because 
it was nice to feel like I helped someone grow. And oftentimes, you know, people look at leadership as a very powerful position where they have the power and they have the control, but there's also a piece where you have a responsibility for people's growth and development. And that was extremely rewarding for me. And currently, um, I not only uh, mentor and coach some of the people in my individual cohort that I work with, but many other people in the program. And it's always good to get an email or a phone call saying, hey, I accomplished this and I learned this from you or from someone in the program or I got a promotion or I'm thinking about applying for this job. So it's built lasting relationships where we consistently get to engage and we get to watch other people grow and learn from their ideas and their concerns. That's awesome. So maybe George, uh, George T, I want to ask you sort of the same question, but also I was just curious, did you, uh, did you feel in the program that, you know, maybe people had some misconceptions about what the SES world is, or I don't know, just things that maybe you were surprised by? Yeah, I mean, I think it was helpful to kind of share with them, you know, everybody's perspective on how we got to where we were. You know, it's a lot of hard work. Like Erica said earlier, yeah, you got to be technically competent. But like one of the important things when you get to a leadership level, there's a lot of people aspect to it. So developing interpersonal skills is critical, right? Um, you know, how, listening to people. Listening is an important skill, you know, when you when you become a leader. And like both George and Erica said, you know, I learned a lot from the cohort and the individuals, they brought a lot to the table. We challenged them, you know, and they rose to the challenge, particularly with that last capstone project, you know, where they were thinking outside the box as far as technology um, was concerned and how to employ technology to a difficult, difficult uh, problem. You know, one of the things I think this, this program is going to do as it progresses, you know, through time both for the executive sponsorship and with, with these young leaders coming up, you know, through the processes, it's going to create a winning culture, like throughout the whole entire federal CFO community, right? Because, you know, people are going to say, Hey, you know, there's many opportunities here, you know, to become leaders. There's, there's things that are coming down, you know, now that are, you know, where, you know, the CFO space is going to change completely as a result of technology and transform because of technology. And if you participate in this program, you're going to be on the cutting edge of that. And I think that's exciting, you know, for for future leaders to, to think about when they when they look at this program. Well, and I wanted to add, so Demik, I know you talked a little bit about, you know, EY did some studies on leadership and, you know, the workforce. But I mean, even just from your, you know, from your work in the private sector, how do you feel you know, succession and leadership growth works out there? I mean, do you feel like, you know, it's working or it's not working? Because, I mean, I, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, from my experience, too, it's just, it always seems like it's it's just kind of hit or miss. You either get a really good leader that brings you up or mentors you up or, or you kind of wander around in the darkness sometimes. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that was another ancillary benefit of the program, right, where executives, as they're seeking succession planning, right? It was generally limited into three or four walls of their organization, right? Or their network to really be able to recruit or attract talent, mm -hmm. right? This is a platform that really gives them a, a targeted audience of those that are self, self uh, certifying that they do desire to be a finance executive, right? So 
to me, it's a great benefit to go for the CFO council or if other SESs, you have a pool of cohort that are really investing in driving change in the federal finance community um, and also putting in the effort to do so. Um, so to me, that was another ancillary benefit of, you know, where we are. Because working or not working, I think it's going to be relative to the results. And, you know, that could be debate probably on another podcast. But uh, <laughs> I, I do think that is a benefit of the program. Yeah, and I guess, you know, sort of similar question, maybe uh, George, Jay here. Um, again, you know, do you feel, you know, is this does this program start to kind of address some of the issues that might exist in succession and in, in govern, for government executives or the workforce, uh, some of the issues of the workforce in general? Definitely. So I, I think, so the point that was raised earlier, you first need to understand your value proposition internally. Mm-hmm. So therefore, whatever external factors you may encounter, that does not diminish who you are. So that's why the better me piece is critical in terms of establishing foundationally who you are. So regardless of the variables and other things that are changing, and we mentioned technology, you have things like robotics, you have things like artificial intelligence, you have things like machine learning, you have things like blockchain. All of these things are being infused within our environment, hopefully for the better, to create a better work-life balance to take pressure off of manual entry and those kind of things like that. So how do you inculcate those things within who you are? Because oftentimes technology far surpasses the ability of people to grow personally. And so it's a personal growth along with technological change that has to be factored in an organization that you want to have parallelisms so that therefore one does not outstrip the other. So that therefore this program deals with those building block type things in terms of a pedagogical type way. And they all interlock and interchange as you grow, the organization grows. And so that's why this program is critical. Yeah, Erica, I mean, any, any comments on that? Uh, again, you know, just, I feel like, you know, we need more programs that explicitly make it obvious that for people that are trying to grow in their career, that there are others that want to help them and pull them along, right? Um, most definitely. I think um, the program, kind of piggybacking on what George said, in starting with understanding who you are, allows people the freedom, the space, and the security to be authentic. And I think that's very important because oftentimes, People think they have to be someone else or they have to meet other people's expectations to succeed. And when you focus on the um, better me, you learn who you are. You learn to accept who you are. And then you learn to, in the better us, identify that just because someone's different from you, that diversity that they bring is creates that ecosystem which which yields a better working world. So you learn how to leverage who you are with who other people are and then collaborate and kind of push that transformation that's so needed in organizations. And I think that's something 
that is invaluable because it's not something that's explicitly stated or articulated in the workforce. And I saw people become more relaxed in accepting who they are and learning how to better interact with people who were different. Because when I look at um, the team that I mentored through their project, they all brought something different to the table, but they own their differences. And then they figured out where one um, person's perspective played a greater role here and another one played a greater role there. And they came up with this amazing solution. And afterwards, I think they all recognized all of the value that they brought to the table. And that's what a strong leader does. It doesn't expect um, everyone on the team to be homogeneous, but it accepts that everyone is heterogeneous and that what they bring is valuable and impactful. Yeah, and if I can piggyback on that, I think that was one of the cornerstones of the program is diversity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we were very intentional from the beginning, having diversity of thought and experience, both in our executive sponsors, the cohort, cohort and the curated experiences. Right. The teams, we use different personas to pull the teams together. Uh, we obviously thought highly about the executive sponsors, making sure that we had representation from CFO Act agencies, large departments, components so that the the cohort can understand that you can become a, a, a finance SES in many different ways and as many uh, facets and profiles to get there. And I thought that was just an enlightening experience that I think some people, if they were at a certain agency, they only saw their path through that agency. And that could have dissuaded them from wanting to get into the SES ranks. Mm-hmm. But throughout interactive sessions, they got to experience appointed CFOs, right? Like, so all of these different, different finance yeah. executives that they're like, oh, I could do that. Yeah, getting out of that bubble you're in or, you know, there's a bigger world out there. There's many opportunities, many ways to go. Well, I wanted to ask one last kind of fun question for everybody just to get your opinion on this. Well, not really fun, but just a little bit different perspective. So I, I remember a few months ago, I was actually talking to a person, GS15, and he was a little frustrated. He's, you know, I've applied for SES a couple of times and I never, I just can't get in there. You know, I don't know what's wrong. What can I do? You know, just from you all's perspective, what what do you think are some things that hold people back from kind of getting to that next level? Maybe things they're not aware of. Maybe things you saw in people's in in in, in the program, and you know, help them realize that. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Maybe George uh, T, you want to give us your thoughts? Sure. I think one of the things you know, um, people need to trust themselves and take some risks sometimes, right? You know. Um, getting on panels, like we're talking on an AGA podcast, right? There's plenty of opportunities, you know, whether it's the PDT, the national leadership training, some of the other, um, you know, conferences that AGA sponsors. I think it's very important to take, take some risk, you know, a topic, you know, that you're familiar with, you know, put your name out there, say, Hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm an expert on enterprise risk management. I would really love to get on a panel. Um, here's my qualifications. And I think, you know, a lot of times, Again, we're talking about soft skills, and I think that's what's lost in a lot of um, conversations. You could be the best, you know, most technical, competent CPA in the world, and you'd be knocking it out of the park, but let's just say you're introverted. You try to have to force yourself to come out of being an introvert, try to become more extroverted, you know, go to conferences, network with people, 
um, it's very important, you know, and I think a lot of times people, you know, they come up through the ranks to get to a GS-15 a lot of times because they were experts in their field of whether it's, you know, IT, you know, accounting, budget, et cetera. And, and then they want to get to that next step. They want to become an SES. Well, the next step is, you know, you got to do some networking. You got to put yourself out there. Um, you know, you got to take some risks. You got to get on panels. And I think that's one important thing, you know, like when we were talking with some of the the young inspiring leaders, when we were having like one-on-ones with them, you know, because they would ask those questions. I'm like, well, you're in a program now. It's affording you an opportunity to network, not with just executives, but with other people, peers, who you're going to probably come up through the ranks with over the in the future and maybe sitting on the CFO council with them, you know, later on in life. So it's, it's those kinds of things, taking a chance on yourself. And, and I think that's very important. Erica, how about yourself? From my perspective, I think it's about preparation. And what I mean by that is don't wait to um, prepare your SES application and resume and ECQs when you see a position you're interested in. But start long before, even if you don't think you're ready. And when you put that package together, especially your ECQs, ask an SES to review them because oftentimes, People might have 90% of their ECQ satisfied, but there's 10% that they're missing. And it's important to know that so that you have the time to go out there and get the experience you need, whether it's by getting another position or doing a detail or even doing some community service work or volunteer work. It all counts. And making sure you know where you stand early because you have the opportunity to self-correct. And then when the position that you're interested in comes out, you present a strong package. Because um, when I first applied for my first SES, that's where I fell short because um, I didn't fully satisfy one of the ECQs. And if I would have known that maybe a year before I applied, I could have um corrected it. Yes, excellent advice. Um, yeah, Mr. Jenkins, I'll give you the last word. What, what, what are your thoughts there? Yes, I just want to echo all points that have been raised. Um, but the critical thing is sometimes in your career, you have to go horizontal and not vertical to get the experience that you need in terms of creating the type of portfolio and resume to make yourself competitive when uh, SES positions come up. And then also you have to do other things like Toastmasters or other things. It's, it's not just technical capability, it's, inter, it's interpersonal skills, it's managerial capability, it's all of those type of interrelationships and interactions that you have to have that makes a composite SES uh, person uh, in that particular space. And so oftentimes you don't even have to do details, but if there are projects within another organization or another entity that you want to hook your wagons to, so that therefore within your portfolio of experience, it just makes you stronger that I've done this, 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 and this. So these are the opportunities that you want to look for and also never um, minimize interpersonal briefings, skills, and opportunities to brief senior management because they're going to give you feedback in terms of tweaking and making you better. 
All right. Well, Damik, I see why you uh, reached out to these folks. <laughs> yeah. This has been amazing. Um, and we're, we're at our time here, but Damik, any final thoughts for us? Maybe you want to give us a teaser on the next podcast or the upcoming uh, cohort here? Absolutely. And I think it was a good uh, tee up from you, Paul. I mean, the, qu- the very question you asked, we just had a roundtable with the last two-year cohorts and the current CFO executives talking about the profile of the finance executive of the future, yeah, right? And really helping define that. What are those experiences to, uh, with my panelists just talked about, is being explicit. So now they are prepared and they know those experiences going in. So I just think that's another benefit that our cohort is getting. They're getting this playbook and roadmap. So um, my hope is that in the next uh, uh, session we have with you, Paul, we're able to dive a little deeper mm-hmm. And really talk about that differentiated experience and why you should show up um, because there is a mutual benefit. The investment and time you give to the program, you'll exponentially get back. Um, And I think that's both from a cohort perspective as well as an executive sponsor perspective. So we're excited to continue collaborating with AGA on this and look forward to many years of this program to come. All right. Well, Dameek. Mr. Tomchick, Mr. Jenkins, Ms. Gaddy, Erica, I thank you all for uh, being on the podcast today. This has been great. I wrote down about 20 little bullets here, things I want to remember from my, my leadership skills. Um, no, and thank you so much for being on the podcast, supporting AGA. And uh, with that, we're going to close it out. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I was your host, Paul Marshall, for Accountability Talks with AGA, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.